Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for June 11th, 2018, featuring poet Miller Oberman leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Tim Gerber Flurry, Blake Lappin, Rosie Perez, Bonnie Belay, Beatrice K, Harvey Sauce, Kathleen Burnock, Bill Considine, Candy Wolf, Hassan Karimi, Creighton Blinn, Nikki Ritchie, Alan Braverman, Bill Livingston, Emily Wilkinson, Richard Fine, Arthur Russell, Del Lemon, Shara Hardison, Tess Congo, Mark Brzezinski, and Hazel Lynch. So, without further ado, let's get right to the action to Brooklyn Poets. Yop for June 11th. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get started. Miller is here. That's the important thing. Welcome back. How's everyone doing? Good enough. <laughs> good enough. Yeah, I was going to be like, that's not good enough, but I, I don't really care. It's fine. Okay. You can have low energy. Totally fine. Uh, are you all sufficiently inebriated? No, do you need to <laughs> take a sip? Uh, if you need to do a shot, that's fine. Uh, this is the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for June. We're excited to be back. Um, my name is Jason Koo. Once again, if you don't know that, a couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, there are some more summer workshops coming up with Miller Oberman, who many of you just took a workshop with, uh, Emily Skillings and Simone Carney, teaching a workshop on poetics of space, which is really exciting. Hala Alyan has an online workshop on, bless you, on poetry as a truth serum, and so on and so forth. Bless you again. Uh, also, this Friday, if you don't know it, my book launch party is happening in Bushwick, which you are all invited to. So come out for that. It's at 100 Bogart. starts at 7 p.m. There will be food. There will be wine. There is a ticket, but with the ticket comes food and wine. <laughs> if you buy the $20 ticket, you get the book, too. So what can I say? I got deals for you. Uh, unfortunately, all the books I brought tonight are sold, but uh, I will be reading from that later tonight. But before we get to that, we are going to hear from Miller and also all the wonderful poets on this open mic lineup. A few of the ground rules for the uh, Yop open mic, if you haven't been here before, everyone gets one poem of three minutes max on the mic. We don't do this to be mean. Obviously, we want to hear a lot of your poems, but there are a lot of poets here, as you can see. And the more poets we can get through on the main lineup, we can then get to more poets on the wait list. So please make sure to keep to your time. If you go over, no one's going to punch you or anything, but we are all going to know who you are. <laughs> All right, we can all feel when the poem is going much longer than three minutes. So please try to keep to your time one poem max. Uh, we also record the open mic as a podcast, which is called the Yopcast. That's on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to it. You should definitely do that. You can also rate it. 
preferably five stars. I mean, if you're going to rate it one star, just don't bother. You know, just, just leave it alone. <laughs> but uh, if you don't want to be in the recording and you are reading tonight, you don't have to be. You can just tell me and I can edit you out. It's no problem. Just to erase your existence uh, off the audio. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that, but, you know, maybe it's private. Maybe you're, like, reading a poem about your boss or something or your ex and you don't want them to hear it. Totally understandable. So if you don't want to, just tell me afterwards. Also, we vote for Poem of the Month at every YAWP uh, just by audience vote. And the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the past year, or as this year is ongoing, obviously, will face off in December for Poem of the Year honors, which brings you cash money and just perks galore. So uh, it's a big honor to win Poem of the Month. And the number to vote, which I'm going to give to you for the first time tonight... Are you ready? Many of you have it, I know, but if you don't have it, the number is area code 718-374-1953. 718-374-1953. Some of you are just staring at me. Some of you are talking. So I assume you, you either know my number already or you just have a, an amazing memory. 718-374-1953. I'll repeat this a few more times. So wait till the end of the open mic to vote. Don't vote like after the first one. Come on now. <laughs> Uh, you can vote for yourself if you want, but, you know, karma points against you probably if you do that. But, you know, it's fine. If it means cash. If it means cash at the end of the year, you know. What's that? That's true. You could also do that. Uh, anyway, yeah, so try to wait until the end of the night. I'll read the post names as we go. So before we start the open mic proper, we're going to hear from Miller Oberman. Uh, what's, what did I forget? I did not know that. Congratulations. Let's hear it for the Gerber Flurries. Wow. <laughs> she has such a cute face right now. She's just like, she's just like tickled. <laughs> uh, congratulations, guys. Seriously. I don't just, I don't mean that cynic. Anyway, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I'm making it worse. Like, seriously, I mean it. Congratulations. Uh, anything else? No? That's true. Congratulations to Robert Gibbons. That I knew and just forgot about. Any other life achievements? This is awesome. We've got a... Uh, got a the poem I wrote last time Miller Oberman was here, My Mom Would Be a Cardinal, was published in Mudfish this week. Now, I mean, now you're just chilling for yourself. Come on now. <laughs> Any other announcements? Anyone else getting married in July? I'm getting married in July. How about that? How do you like them apples? Anyone got a bigger announcement than that? Can we get started now? <laughs> All right. Give it up for Miller Oberman. One day I'll be as tall as Jason. No, I think I've stopped growing. Um, thank you all so much for coming, and it was great to hear your exercises. Um, this is a new poem that I have never read before. Some of you know that I really am a giant nerd and translate Old English. Um, this is a poem that I wrote about trying to translate Riddle 89. Um, there's going to be some Old English in here. Um, I apologize. <laughs> this is called Riddle 89 Reconsidered. Um, I should say this is about a thousand years old. It's in the Exeter book, part of which was burned by a hot poker um, when someone accidentally drunkenly laid a hot poker on the only copies of these old English poems. Um, and so this poem is mostly burned, which is why it's so difficult to translate. 
Riddle 89 reconsidered. That creature who something, before the manuscript was burned, possessed, had, or held a womba, which is to say had a womb, so was perhaps a woman. <laughs> or because Clark Hall says womb equals womb, this person just had a regular human stomach, which can ache, as in wombak, swell, womblababung, and whose contents are its wom hoard. Although Bosworth Toller defines wom hoard differently as the weapons contained in a fortified place, is that a metaphor or is a stomach a battleground? Or does the creature instead possess a woma, a noise, a howling, a terror, as in the noise of battle, a tumult, like a swevness, a, a terror dream? Or the creature instead had a woam from the dative, so indirectly of woe, a bending, a crookedness, depravity, perversity, a mistake. Indirectly, the error, the bentness, has been performed for this creature, and some part of it was leather. It's behind or in back. The creature wore leather on its back or had leathery skin or had a stiff cured quality about its hindquarters. Maybe they were great or gritty or which greeted. <laughs> Something missing here. Beginning, possibly with woe or the beginning of whacken. The variant spelling of the president, present subjunctive of whacken so it could mean wakefulness or weakness or to oppress or to trouble and cunningly carried out, worked or made, carefully, painstakingly even, since wurchte or werk mean both work and pain. As Stephen Barney reminds us in Word Horde, the association of the term work with the idea of distress is ancient. We feel medicine work in a wound. Something important about time here, huilum eft, at times again, for a while again after. It happened more than once or happened, then happened again. There was a recurrence, repetition, for a long hour, the kind of hour that stretches out that you can relax into, a supple hour, for a while and then again. Missing text here where potentially we learn what that time contained, but it has to do with piercing and stabbing. He thought, he pondered, or thought itself came so forcefully, so stabbingly it pressed, pierced even, his thunkada, his thought bulb, his head. Since so many meals or dainties, food here giving credence to reading Wamba as stomach, had been somethinged in that time, in that season. In conclusion, ritual recurrence, seasonal or daily, but in any case continuing, Stomachs fill and empty, empty and fill, with banquets, with babies, with terror, with error, which sometimes is not our own, but comes to us datively, indirectly passed on. But these terrors ache our wombs just the same. This creature does something carefully, with skill, I like to think, with the strength and grace of hard practice, with the keen work pain that takes hours and thoughts in succession, indicated by a series of foods, through seasons, as this creature changes the conditions of things in space and time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. They've started downstairs. No comment. Anyway, great poem. Miller, great way to start us off. Uh, we are going to hear next from someone who is celebrating his second anniversary. Give it up for Tim Gerber Fleury. Yeah, that's pretty great. Thanks, Harta. 
Um, isn't it great to make new friends? Um, I recently made a new friend, and she inspired me a poem. I could always remember the point in time when I met somebody I knew would become kin. We share a drink in a Greenpoint bar of dim lights and punk rock playlist. Silent and solemn, she searches intensely in her archive to retrieve treasure words she once wrote. They are true and speak to the heart. They are honest and lonely lyrics of, love, of lost love songs. I celebrate them and her voice for how sharp it is both in melancholy and romanticism and how loud it will become. For every year she kept them hidden. Now her words open a way through my mind to my soul like an icebreaker. And while, she share, and while we share stories of yesterday, poems of today, and dreams of tomorrow, and while we knock glasses together in celebration, and we videotape the superficial like a blood oath, in some same old trance we profess our friendship. I will be yours, you will be mine. Thank you, Tim. Is that really about Lauren? No. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, our next reader is maybe a Yop debuter. I don't recognize this name for sure. Are you sure? Yeah. You, sure? you know this person? Blake Lappin. Really? You know this person? He went to school with my daughter. Oh, shit. Give it up for Blake Lappin, everyone. Yop debuter. <laughs> I usually like having paper, but I don't. But it's going to be fine. I also get nervous, so my hands might shake, but that's also fine. Um, OK. This poem is called Like Plastic in the Sea. I grew up never thinking cigarette smoke overheard during the oration of a poem would so quickly raise saliva to the surface of my cratered tongue, never thinking I would recall the taste of an Indonesian cigarette. There's sugar on the filter. I'm satiated before even lighting it. But then I light it and the clothes within, for which Indonesia was colonized, parliamented, unridden, crackle and spark. I hear myself burning. Smoke staining the hair like face cream, unsmoothed into beard. The cigarette, too, feels the joy of eroding something larger than itself. Somehow that's OK. Somehow that makes it OK to compare myself with this earth. We alight and drink coffee before and after each of three daily meals for comfort. Balinese men speaking of wives and children and religion, and the perfumed beard obscures my youth. No one can discern a child has snuck amongst them. The clove tobacco, like Christmas with grandpa. The sugar on lips, like sharing and being shared with. Mixing languages like plastic and sea. All right, well done, Blake. He went to school with your daughter, so he said. You've known him for a long time, then. Is he a good guy? He's an amazing guy. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did you think of? I, I mean, you could have just you could have said something totally different. That would have been fun. 
Okay, our next uh, yop day is it? I don't know if it's a debuter. Let's just say our next yopper who is awesome. Give it up for Rosie Perez. So I was pretty much debating which one I wanted to choose, so I'm gonna let you guys. Do you guys prefer an inappropriate or do you guys prefer a depressive one? Let's go with the inappropriate. All right. I'm not here to talk about religion, money, or politics. I won't talk about sex or anything that's a quick fix. I want to talk about lovemaking at its most passionate level. And just because it's lovemaking does not mean it has to be gentle. You may see it as rough sex. I prefer to see it as an aggressive man breaking every part of me while exploring my soul simultaneously, surpassing my internal, internal organs. As he leaves, he, he'll pick up all the pieces that he has broken and perhaps pick up the pieces other men have broken, mend them together, tugging my hair to bring me closer to his breath, embracing my slight laughter and my complex depth. He understands that there is more to me than just sex, and as we become to the conclusion, we'll embrace each other's presence, appreciating every word and every sentence that comes out of our mouths, the moans or any other sounds that our body has created. For a moment, we have awaited. See, the reason why I don't associate sex within the same genre. When was the last time you had sex and became one with someone's aura? When was the last time you made love? When was the last time you could feel you were deeply in love? When was the last time someone took your breath away by aggressively choking you, but in the most loving way? When was the last time rough... <laughs> When was the last time rough lovemaking contradicted itself? When was the last time you saw yourself in his eyes? When was the last time in all aspects he made you rise? Yeah. All right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe you should MC tonight. And that, I had nothing that good. I was going to say, that didn't seem that inappropriate. Everything you read just seemed perfectly appropriate. Right? Right, Gerber Flurries? <laughs> wow. You'll never forget this night. <laughs> Our next reader is a longtime friend of the Yup. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. Before I read, I want to tell you I've joined a new group, not a poetry group, and it's don't separate children. Don't separate families at gmail.com. I think what they're doing at the border is criminal. I can't even say what I think because it makes me too upset, but we need people. We need you to come. There are demonstrations coming up, and we have to stand up because the bell is tolling for all of us. Okay, this has no title and it's very new and I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> I want the glacier erratics in Prospect Park to love me, but they don't. I want the red-tailed hawk perched in the mulberry to startle and fly from the tree when I walk under the drip line. 
I want the raccoons to stay in the trees because they are bigger and smarter than country raccoons. <laughs> what I can't have, what cannot be given, has no value. When mother died, her friend called and said he was sorry she'd left me a single dollar in her will. I tried to feel, love, regret something. The dollar sticks in my throat. I promise I will not have dinner with anyone who will only meet in Soho. <laughs> I will not fetishize the unavailable. I will sing arias only to people with ears. Sorry, I just had to finish this tweet. I promise I will not have dinner with people who will only meet in Soho. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing has seemed truer than that, ever. Uh, our next reader is, uh, wrote a fantastic, wrote a fantastic poem last month uh, about a lot of inappropriate things. Hopefully some of you remember that. Uh, give it up for Beatrice K. short. Um, I just want to do a project plug real quick. Um, I actually run a book club for women of color um, in Bed-Stuy, but anyone can come really. So if you are interested in that, please come talk to me later. Um, it's also open to queer folks of color. So that's that. Um, the piece I'm reading tonight is about my grandma. Um, I'm first generation Filipino American. Uh, my grandma was an undocumented immigrant for 20 years. And for like 10 of those years, she lived in New York. So that's what this is about. Um, okay. One, she peeled eggshells from hard boiled eggs until, until her own fingers peeled, revealing red raw flesh. Scrubbed master's floors with dried up coconut husks, white sweet scent drift to painted ceilings with Corinthian pillars, waft north where heaven meets Park Avenue. 3,000 hours of thighs stuck to plastic bus seats from Queens to Upper East to pick up brown babies from white daycare. Sc scraping her memory for dirty fingernails brown with, with dried ice cream, wide noses, moles, and birthmarks, summoning the brown skin of her own babies. If only noses, moles, birthmarks, and skin can touch 7,000 miles apart. Sleeping on a $10 cot, springs squeak every time God wants to talk. God, do my baby's hair still curl like mine? Two, I sip bland $6 iced tea. Brooklyn wind shakes tree branches. Green leaves shimmy in and out of sunlight. I press five silver keys, push the door open, up 48 steps. I enter pristine three bedroom with wood floors, natural sunlight, washer and dryer in unit. I sleep on memory foam with white cotton sheets softer and sweeter than white coconut flesh, 15-year-old texture of my motherland still grazing on my tongue. I paint my toenails after a candlelit lavender bath. A $200 electric brush scrubs my pores clean. I use three pink plastic floss sticks. Flossing with string is too difficult. I find a seat on the subway, head nodding to sleep, all the way to Essex Street, 
where fire escapes butterfly kiss blue sky. And I, did the bricks boast their best shade of red when you walked past them? Mm. Three, and I peeled eggshells until her fingers were as raw as the spicy tuna in my $14 poke bowl. Thank you, Beatrice. Uh, I'm finding some words over there, by the way. Um, if you see any words on the floor before you leave, pick them up. Otherwise, uh, my staff is going to have to pick them up. And they're already overworked. Uh, Almond and Amnesiac were over there. <laughs> anyway, our next reader uh, runs an open mic in Park Slope. I'm sure he's going to tell you about that. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. Also be at the New York Poetry Festival on the 28th at 12:30. Uh, it's called Artful Dodgers Poetry. Uh, it's in uh, an 1891 historic building fashioned after Venetian Palazzo. Any of you who don't have one of these, feel free to see me after the reading and pick one up. Um, everybody is welcome. We usually give about five minutes to an open micer, and we have a couple of features. This is too small for me. No, no. <laughs> Thought I'd never say, no, that's fine, that's fine. You know, work for Frank Sinatra, it'll work for me. Uh, this is called a literary diptych. Diptych is usually refers to uh, uh, a painted pair of panels that open to tell a story. Word in here, mikvah refers to a ritual bath that uh, Orthodox Jewish women uh, endure. <laughs> this is called well, let's call that. Uh, one, Lot's wife. If God is love, as some would have it, Lot's wife was duty, a devoted volunteer who swept clean the packed clay floors of their modest temple in Sodom after she had finished her own house chores, who kept God's house in order, raised two daughters, paid the bills. Roasted meats, which she would later garnish with unexpected imagination and good wifely zest, matched only by her nonpareil joy of sex, dutiful in all things. So, keeping in character, as might have been expected, she glanced back, if only briefly, to make sure that she had closed the windows, locked the doors, to check whether any of Sodom's children, a bedraggled lot, were straggling and required assistance. Natural-born troop leader of the pack, Exemplar, and when she had a few extra shekels, philanthropist, to see if there was any last little thing she or her husband, salt of the earth, pillars of the community, had forgot to do. A misdemeanor, not a felony. Come on now, God, a few days, perhaps, of sweat-inducing community service surely would have been punishment enough, followed by a hot mikvah bath devotionals. That we could understand without first having to resort to years and years of Torah study. Absent-mindedness, certainly not a capital offense, subject to smiting, and even worse than smiting, wrath. This one, two, Lot's second wife. 
Shame on him. She kept only pepper and more pepper on the table. Salt too much reminding her of her predecessor. She whose name must never be spoken. To distinguish herself one from the other, she planned meals that today would be referred to as vegan, conspicuously lacking in both poultry and red meat, all those tasty cuts that her husband liked to eat. Bland, bland, bland it was until he couldn't take it anymore, sneaking out when she was otherwise occupied for some rare bit of lamb, a kebab or two, some warmed over Seder chicken soup from a sympathetic neighbor. Also, the sex was just okay, mostly meh. The same position night after night, groping pre-missionary with the lights out, not so much as a salty kiss. Oh, God of our fathers, he prayed, I swear I'll never marry again, not if I outlive Methuselah. If you do me this one small favor, I'll never ask another. Grind down all peppercorn idolatry, pillar her to pepper, please, and seize her essence, if you will, for your spice rack. I'll swear, if I must, on a stack of dead Egyptians, that she, too, looked back. Thank you, Harvey. You're getting good at this, uh, Arthur. Uh, you do it for me. You do it for me too. Yeah, it's all coded. <laughs> Our next reader. I'm not sure. Is I think my memory is going. I can't remember if people are reading for the first time or not. But if you're reading for the first time, welcome. Give it up for Kathleen Burnock. Actually, not reading for the first time. It's just been, I know, it's been a while. So, um, and this, I honestly, I hope I did not read this. I think I actually was going to and then never came with it. So, we will see. If you guys heard it before, I apologize. Um, No title. And now I am a healer, or so I am told, in a place of sorting through. All those dank joints, muttered symptoms, intonations, the lived experiences in guts and toes and mouths gone dry, morphine corporeal complexities in linear patterns, algorithms, timelines, the dosing of the cure. I try to control what I am told as I am taught in boxes checked, in numbers and in scales, handouts to explain the repercussions of the pills in the flesh, measuring the rate of breath, picking up, releasing. I need to know the changes in the blood, the way creatinine clears the kidneys, the tension in the tubules and the enzymatic battles breaking it all down. And in this rush, this strict report, the lines become too clear. And the story is just words, and the words fit into boxes, and the boxes stack and tumble, seeping out their contents in a blur. In palpation and percussions, all those subtle moans and flinches, the pigment of the iris and the way the pupil shrinks with light. 
So much of it in silence, so much of it receiving, all those stories that are of the body, in the body, all those stories that shape the body, that flash in the eyes and the skin, the scars, tattoos, the traumas tucked into cerebral folds, tokens hanging from the necks, the ears, the wrists, the beats that kick up movement in the hips and limbs, fingers drumming and an anxious stare, at times a stiffened joint, at times a stiff lip, waiting for the quiver and release. For the body needs the story, needs the space and the breath, the rhythm and the pulse, the lines obscured by visions of a cure, not metered out in bottles, but huddled in that web that catches us as we fall. And so I'm back, the sensations in the fingers tugging, moving, lacing, gathering, releasing all those words into a form too fluid to control, the unwinding of the healer, of the writer, to the human, tapping out a life. Thank you, Kathleen. Nice to have you back. All right. Let me recap our first seven readers. If you want to keep any of these readers in mind, that was Kathleen Burnack. Before that was Harvey Sauce. Before that was Beatrice Kay, Bonnie Belay, Rosie Perez, Blake Lappin, and Tim Gerber Fleury. Is that a trumpet? It's kind of nice, right? It's nicer than the singing, for sure. <laughs> yes, I know. It's all being. I'm fine. <laughs> Our next reader is a Broken Poets member, which makes him, uh, you know, close to my heart. Automatically, give it up for Bill Considine. Thank you. I'm going to read the first section of a long poem called Lincoln in Queens. Lincoln in Queens is a tale. This tale has seven segments called Iron, Unemployed, A Vision, Depression, Journey, The Furies, and Offering. Iron. Both my grandfathers worked in the mills, steel workers. My father was an unemployed steel worker when I was born. The clangor and night fires of the vast old mills along the rivers swore to me in fearful curses that the earth is iron and poor. Steel mills burned the earth in my eyes. Long trains loaded with coal or slag made my home on a hill above the mill. Orange smoke from blast furnaces billowed above Steel Valley. Polluted rivers ran yellow and sluggish. Men ate their earnings from a lunchbox. I am of the race of iron, still living in the Iron Age. Do I have to work at a blast furnace? Do I have to make steel in a big barn-like foundry between railroad tracks and the river? The oldest poems that survive condemn the race of iron to work and waste. Our hearts are owned forever by war and the war debts of our fathers, chanted the savages. The people of iron destroy. We tear and burn the earth. So we dreamed our fate into development, 
or so the first poems say. The author of The Birth of God says that in his second song, The Workday. I don't believe it. I think it's primitive. In World War II, my father blew up ships on the huge moon reflected on the Pacific Ocean. He was a bombardier in a black-painted night raider, a navy plane with pontoons. They hid by day in bays of New Guinea. After the war, he got a job in the mill, but the work was dirty and hot with many layoffs. My father left the mill. He got a job with the fire department. He drove a red fire truck into danger. He drove the pump truck at number four station. I inherit firefighting, too, as my job in Iron City. It's a strenuous confusion. The Iron Age rages with furnace fires. Unemployed. My job is the most evil ever, according to Plato. I write poems about politics, not from logic, but from inspiration. I excite myself and spurt disruptive fantasies all over the social fabric in danger to the state and order. But here's the irony, iron E, iron I, the I run of insight. I dream of hidden logic. I violate another of Plato's rules for Western civilization. I should not know so goddamn much about the rules. I'm of the race of iron. In a republic, we must be taught with myths to do the work. We must believe we were born in the earth to work with dirt. We should only hear about daylight from people of gold. I have no gold in my nature, just red dirt. With a resume like that, I was, of course, out of work, like my father at my birth. We'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. That was nice. Is that from your book? Yeah. Goes well with a trumpet, too. Yeah. 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 It's like classic. I need some whiskey to go with that. But yeah, exactly. I mean, what can I say? You know, things at the Yop happen just like destiny. Don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> our next reader, uh, just. You know, I always love this name, so give her a big round of applause. Give it up for Candy Wolf. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Noah. Well, I was actually working on something that was a little bit different, and then last night I had a bit of a frustration, and Father's Day was coming, so it kind of evolved into something totally different. And it's called Back Up Before Full Speed Ahead. I know this sounds ridiculous, but as I'm backing up my iPhone on the iCloud, I feel afraid. You see, I'm a technophobe. Oh no, what if I mess everything up and all the, my contacts fly off into cyberspace? I've never been one for space travel, too much of the unknown. And now I have to deal with it, me alone and my cell phone. I wish my father was here. He'd be my support system. Like the times he stood in the freezing cold at Rockefeller Center to watch me skate. Just knowing he was there gave me the confidence to keep going and then zoom by his smiling face. I began to swim because of him. I started by holding onto his shoulders. Then I was able to stay afloat. I learned to love the water. It became my favorite sport. When he took the training wheels off my purple bike, he ran alongside, and I was doing well until I said, Daddy, and he wasn't there. 
I quickly turned my head and saw him all the way down the block with both hands on his waist and then I noticed a proud looking smile on his face and then I felt ready to ride. He's not here and I'm an adult now but I have a hard time in this techno world not knowing how to navigate and not being taught. As I remember you daddy and wonder what you'd say, I think it would be, don't worry, baby, keep at it, and you'll be a techie one day. <laughs> Thank you. That was really sweet. Um, how many of you remember learning to ride a bike for the first time? I remember that day well. It was in Maumee, Ohio. <laughs> Anyone know where that is? It's like a suburb of Toledo. I feel like Toledo itself is a suburb, so it's like a suburb of a suburb, right? I remember spitting at the wind because he kept knocking me over. <laughs> it seems like, seems like a very coup thing to do. <laughs> spitting at the wind, yeah, yeah. I just talked about myself in the third person, which is also a coup thing to do. Anyway, I'm having a rough night as an MC, as you probably noticed. Uh, let's hopefully the second half will be better. Uh, our next poet debuted last month. Give it up for Hassan Karimi. Yeah. You got it. All right, this one is called Relics. A gleaming caught me from the facets of your crown of arches. There you stand, ever-present, tall and stout, enduring figure tacitly roaring of an epic, not foreign to this modern age. Always there enshrined in photos, films, and paintings. And as I arrived through the lobby door, a generation's ostentation shows. The deco of your swanky art, bygone darkness of a bygone time. Then I find myself in the monotony I know as I step into the elevator with the aluminum framed wood-like panels, just as any other tower, but with an arched panel overhead with clock hands counting every floor. And in the offices above, the cry for modern civility has conquered fluorescent lights and gridded ceiling tiles, while you boast triumphant to the city streets, vibrant to the outside world, inside you are humbled and repurposed. A hero turned servant in a rapidly changing city that's breathing life for the taking, who will take it and leave new relics. The green man briskly walking with awkward smiles and clumsily in his own shoes, or the woman there with flawless hair and business manner on the phone while walking with her dog? Or will it be the angry man yelling for a quarter? While the city gives to each of them, it freely takes, unconcerned if they concur, who of these will take the breaths and form the new relics as canvases for an evolving order?
Thank you, Hassan. Oh, he's tall. <laughs> Damn. All right, well done. Well grown. That's a weird thing to say. Well, well grown. I don't know. It's. I feel like it's turning around. Did you, uh, did your mom used to mark your height as you like on one of these things? My mom used to do that. Anyone else? Raise your hand if your mom did that. Yeah. Grandma? Yeah. My mom thought I was going to be like a short Asian dude, so she was like paranoid. She was just like, Jay, eat, and then I'm going to measure you. It was, like <laughs> it was like a daily thing. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm the same height as yesterday, Mom. <laughs> okay, our next reader has been coming pretty regularly lately and just kicking ass. Give it up for Creighton Blinn. Hey. Hi. At sea. How did I find myself at the head of this table, watching a woman steadily crawl across the tabletop? <laughs> and why am I the only one that thinks it odd? Everyone else is entirely at ease, chatting away like nothing out of the ordinary is happening. Is this, in fact, an everyday occurrence? One moment I'm at the office, entering a boardroom, and the next, I'm overwhelmed by the scent of salt water and maple syrup, ears full of the same inane babble as last night's party, brimming with beguiling gossip. Why am I so awful with names, faces, or anything that grounds in a sense of place? Perhaps. If I shield my eyes, I might mask my ignorance, avoiding the general din by concentrating on this chessboard, another puzzle I feel ill-equipped to solve. There is a moment to make a move. I recognize it now that it has passed, dissolving as the others rise from their seats, pulling me along. Yet, for a second, I sense the woman's stare probing me. I hazard a glance and wonder what her story could be and if it might overlap with mine before being caught up once again in a sea of people and swallowed by the tide. Thank you. Thank you, Creighton. That was sad. <laughs> was that called Etsy? Wait, what? A-T-S-E-A. Oh, at sea. <laughs> yeah, the meaning changes considerably. <laughs> I was like, what does this have to do with Etsy? <laughs> it was like brilliant and like a, yeah. It was like, great opening to that poem. Wow. <laughs> at sea, at sea, you know, same thing. <laughs> Maybe you're, you know, shopping for a long time. Our next reader uh, debuted last month, almost one poem of the month, except uh, she lost to Arthur, so blame Arthur for uh, this, this poet not winning. Arthur won for the second time, so, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, it's all, it's, you know, it's the people that voted, so that's fine. Uh, give it up for Nikki Ritchie. Vote for yourself. 
Um, so I debated what to read tonight, and then last week, two of my best friends got engaged on the same day, and I figured it's wedding season, so... No, no, just, they just both happened to get engaged. Yes. <laughs> what is this problem? <laughs> and... <laughs> so I thought I'd read a poem that I've been kicking around, um, which is about weddings and funerals. So take from that what you want. <clears throat> Church doors. At every wedding, I wonder what the ritual feels like from the front. Mm. To be given and taken. Agree to what you don't know. Celebrate what you haven't done. This decade, I walked the aisle of just one church, following his pine coffin into a non-clear family under splinters of February sunshine. My father had kept his fingers bare, his love fixed, his affection staccato, and his life short. Churchgoers dropped kind words, like coins into a collection basket, their, stickers, their fingers sticky with sweat and chocolate frosting. In that open blue day, a flamboyant tree burst red flowers, its heavy barked arms littering our waiting place in confettied light. Pausing in the doorway, a stone coolness against the dripping heat. Those short waits when he was late from work against from this day forth. I readjusted myself and gave it 10 years. I need more time. In every white dress, I still see the stiff white sheets. My mother, his hand in hers, in a cold hospital room, a marital bed more honest than a honeymoon suite. In sickness, till death did them part, she sat. Morphine or sleep had already done them part, and others had at times before that. There is no promise in partnering except parting. But as the heat swelled, she was the last thing until he could hold nothing more. It was a Monday, and we all started again. Since I have seen her sleep alone, slip the gold band from finger to bedside to somewhere safe. We strangled the sound from feelings, forgetting where we had left them. But any time the sky is that blue, it is not the same. Rain is lucky on your wedding day, loud-voiced woman joke in warm hallways, sucking back the yaw like marrow from bones as their eyes flicker down. You and I have sat side by side in pew after pew, among the kisses and champagne, the dancing, the declarations, and the drop bouquets, we have not found a way to the front. And with every I do, I don't just a little more. The Gerber Fleurs are leaving after that poem. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that poem cleared out the room. <laughs> All the romantics are leaving. <laughs> wow.
Wow, the ending of that poem. I feel like I shouldn't get married now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a killer poem. Mm. Uh, bye, everyone. Sorry. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you for that, Nikki. Uh, our next poet is uh, just a great man. You know, there's nothing more to say about him. Give it for Alan Braverman. Okay, good evening to all on this one at this wonderful venue hosted by Jason Koo. My poem is titled The Bottle and Can Lady, uh, focusing on individuals in dire need seeking, seeking minimal income beyond begging. A supermarket cart with multiple clear white and blue bags packed with bottles and cans reaching the height of over six feet move cautiously down my block in Kensington, Brooklyn, appearing as a cluster of inflated balloons that just landed until a small female figure behind this mass of recyclables peers out to examine the row of limestone houses wearing a beige pedal pushers appropriately named, a white blouse and a tan wicker hat encircling her head like a miniature umbrella, providing some comfort in this global warming spring of 2018. She is of Asian descent, a possible septuagenarian who approaches the bins of garbage lined up like sentinels in front of those early 20th century homes and with latex gloves reaches into the receptacles with the skill of a medical examiner. But instead of human organs, the prizes are metal cans of Diet Coke, plastic bottles of Sprite, Glass containers of Snapple iced tea, a glorious find for this urban excavator, bringing a brief smile to her wrinkled face, then carrying the treasures to that, that overloaded cart, placing them in the appropriate bags, then moving on without side view mirrors to adjacent dwellings until a journey ends at a nearby food town, the machine in front are ready to continue consume Madam's treasures, then retrieving the well-earned nickel deposits until someday being crowned the queen of recycling. Thank you, Alan. All right, moving right along. Our next reader. Needs no introduction. If you come here, give it up for Bill Livingston. Oh, thank you. I'm incapable myself. Thank you. So I found out recently that one of my twin 16-year-old daughters is smoking pot. Yes, I know, right? And it's one of those awkward moments in parenting where, when you're like, all right, how long have you been doing this? And where are you getting it from? Because I'm running low. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a certain hypocrisy that goes with a lot of parenting. Um, you'll find out. You'll find out. So more about that in this. This is called Father's Day. 
A few weeks too early, impatient, eager to scorch the earth, you were the first to break your mother's water, dragging your sister with you, kicking and screaming, to vigorously succeed in the classroom, the soccer field, behind the sketch pad, the camera lens, the clarinet, the drum kit, the 88 keys, the six strings, and the cows and goats you loved and showed for ribbons and trophies at farm camp. 16 years growing up in the Brooklyn public school system, I never even heard you utter the words fuck, shit, damn, or even hell. Only Jesus Christ in this atheist household. You haven't even had your first kiss yet. I'd like to thank your tomboy years for the delay and for gifting me my fishing companion and my Star Wars buddy. The word dada coming from your mouth was always sweet bird song until you asked for money. <laughs> the currency I needed had long dried up as I can't even collect a kiss anymore, always moving in to get a mouthful of strawberry flavored hair. 16 years and I can finally see the three fingers pointing back at me as I grill you about the hash pipe I found in the drawstring backpack I lent you for governor's ball. Because the zippered one you wore the previous day was looted after you so expertly moved yourself to the front of the mosh pit as you've done so many concerts before. Now, when I look for you, all I see is a locked door painted the shade of your indifference. I can only hope you're still doing great things. You have the drive, the mind, the time. Yet I imagine you climbing into that strange car on the corner with your babysitting cash to make a purchase from that dealer who's so highly rated <laughs> according to sources that you won't name. 16 years, secrets of a flawed diamond hit me in the face like the reality of change and the death of innocence. As a father, this machine is obsolete, like the typewriter in the dark corner collecting dust, but watching over you, waiting to give you words of wisdom in the only font I speak. Perfection erodes like sandstone in a river. I now realize that the deeper the canyon, the richer the life. I should allow you more vices, for your virtues surpass most daughters. How can I punish you for finding the remedy for the fever of your adolescence? Perhaps the next time we touch, years down the road, will be when you pass me the remedy already burning. I'll blow you a smoke ring and carve it into a heart. Thank you. Yeah. Good stuff, Bill. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, that is, that's an interesting problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I don't know what I would do. What are you going to do? You have, no, you have no words anymore after that poem. <laughs> You're like, I said it all. Yeah, I have no advice. <laughs> Yeah. 
Got a lot of advice for you. <laughs> All right. On to the next poet. Uh, we have another. Uh, aren't you from Australia, Nikki? Not from South Africa. <laughs> totally blew that. <laughs> South Africa. I was going to say we have another Australian, but we just have our first Australian of the evening. <laughs> Give it up for Emily Wilkinson. <laughs> This poem is for my baby girl who has a rare genetic syndrome called Shagib syndrome. She's six years old. You know, I wish I could rewrite the story of your birth, you know, to a story with breath. You know, I wish you didn't have to ride the back of the bus you know, tied to your wheelchair, close to the ramp. You know, I wish I could create a different world for you. You know, away from administrators, hospitals and tubes. You know, a world where no one says you catch more flies with honey. You know, a world where I tell those flies to fuck off. You know, this ain't no magical kingdom of fantasy bullshit. You know, this ain't no everyone should love each other kind of crap. You know, it's a chance to breathe and grow. To play with your cymbals, to bang your drum. You know, I wish I could be there for you when I'm gone. You know, holding your hand, brushing your hair. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish that wayward piece of DNA would tell us its secrets. You know, the code for the stars, the code for the sky. You know, I wish the world for you was water. You know, water that holds you up so you can float. You know, water that breaks into tiny symphonies when you splash. You know, water that rests in your hands. Thank you, Emily. It's beautiful. That was Emily Wilkinson. Before that was Bill Livingston, Alan Braverman, Nikki Ritchie from South Africa, not Australia, Creighton Blinn, Hassan Karimi, Bill, uh, sorry, Candy Wolf, and then Bill Considine. So we've had 14 readers so far. Moving, sorry, 15 readers so far. Moving right along, give it up for Yop legend Richard Fine. Dancing Generations. On the boardwalk by the Golden Greek Palm Senior Citizens Home, Zavora danced, danced, sung, and strummed the mandolin. Handsome old immigrant diva doing a horror of one until, like a magnet, she drew in a world of strangers. Soon everyone held hands. 
and shaky old legs danced along with strong young ones. So all moved to a common rhythm in a circle that included me. Zavora made sure I entered that circle, next to the girl she had seen me eyeing. Fifty summers more. The same place, but now it's called the Russia in Israel Senior Citizens Home. Now a Miriam dances, dances, sings, strums the mandolin, and beckons the young to keep pace with the old. Another circle breaks to let one more in. No, two more in. And were it possible, the whole wide world. But wait, Zavora is still here, still tapping that familiar rhythm in my memory. Zavora, how she smiles when my old dancing partner, the one always in step with me, is now dancing on a bit shaky but still sure-footed legs as we go round and round and hand in hand while angelic Zavora heaps up our spirited pace. Thank you, Richard. Moving right along. Are you ready, sir? <laughs> Give it up for the winner of Poem of the Month last month, Arthur Russell. Now that I won Poem of the Month, I'm going to take the rest of the year off <laughs> and recite dirty limericks. <laughs> there once was a lady from Bude. <laughs> this is called Hulk T-shirt. Hulk T-shirt. I had that happen with an old girlfriend at a party we both wound up at, in the doorway to the kitchen in this person's house we neither of us knew very well, where I went in for a cheek kiss and her lips half pivoted, so we met corner lip to corner lip. I think lips have fingerprints, and the other person's lips are lip readers, like fingerprint readers, so when two lips touch, one reads the other. A set of inner elevator doors slides open and libraries of information shoot the gap. And while we were mid this kiss, it had changed from a hey, how you doing to a light switch kiss. We were going to have to move from that doorway to someplace more private, even if it was only a few feet down the hall toward the bathroom, because another kiss was coming. And that one involved our hands on the back of each other's heads, ear touching, nose breathing, time travel, a knee becoming wedged between thighs amid the silly framed photos that some people insist on mounting the whole length of their hallways. Why? Because they've seen this overstuffed style of decoration in some English country house magazine, but they don't have a country house. So I was staring at a kid in a red and blue striped jersey decorated with an embroidered canoe. And after that, we went back to the party and didn't hang out. <laughs> 
five whole days, I didn't want anything. Food, sex, argument, money, sleep, nothing. From one kiss in the hallway of a Sackett Street apartment in the brownstone of people I barely knew, I didn't want to see her. But I left the t-shirt I'd been wearing, black with a picture of the Hulk lunging forward behind a big fist, hanging on the doorknob of my bedroom, charged with the calmness of waters smoothed by a big boat passing. And nothing more was needed until the shirt's nirvanic resonance receded. And even though I'd left it hanging there for weeks, I did finally wash it. But I wouldn't wear it anymore. So it kept sinking further down into the stack of t-shirts in my t-shirt drawer until it reached the bottom. Thank you. At the Red Wheelbarrow Poets in the Williams Center in Rutherford next month on the 11th of July, Julie Hart is going to be the featured reader. If you love Julie as much as I know you do, you'll come out to the Williams Center on July 11th and hear her read. Thank you for that. Uh, wow. <laughs> that sounded like a good party. Second <laughs> Street. That's true about those pictures, you know. <laughs> it is a, it's a thing. I don't know. I don't know why. Just like, uh, for some reason this summer, like men drinking uh, spritzer drinks is a thing. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like my bachelor party, my best friend was drinking Aperol spritzes the whole time. I'm like, what is with, what's with the Aperol spritzes? It's, it's like, and then like his, his friend got one, and then I came back. My friend at a party, they were having wine spritzers. What the fuck is going on with these spritzers? 2018. That and the, uh, yeah, and the, the pictures in the hallway. Well, don't hang pictures in your hallway and invite Arthur over for, because <laughs> he's going to make out with someone and write a poem about it. Complain about your wall hangings. All right, uh, we are nearing the end. Our next reader is a fantastic poet. Give it up for Del Lemon. Thank you, thank you. Um, this is another technophobe poem. Candy and I were talking about that. It's also part of a longer poem, so it's just um, one page from that longer poem. Uh, speaking of longer poems, Jason Koo has an incredible longer poem in his new book That's called No Longer See, like 50 poem. pages, really incredible. All right, who needs real friends anymore? I don't want to own a smartphone. You can't make me own one if I don't want to. <laughs> you and your smartphone. All of you and your smartphones looking so stupid looking at your smartphones. <laughs> don't you have a GPS, she asked. And don't get me started on Facebook. Facebook bullies and so-called Facebook friends or Instagram followers liking this and liking that. And what kind of friend is that? What kind of asshole designed a program for friendship <laughs> that is so mean, with so many rules, and why did so many people buy into it? Were they just tired of the old kinds of friendship? 
Just yesterday at a food truck, somebody asked the woman selling tacos and Mexican street corn, are you on Facebook? Can I follow you on Instagram? Are you fucking kidding me, I thought? I'm always so close to giving up, canceling my appointment, staying home with my dog. How can I leave her to go uptown to the dentist tomorrow? I'm so lucky to be able to afford a dentist, but I'm not going to let them hurt me this time. I'm going to tell them to back off or I will walk out. The last time, the hygienist poked my rotten crack tooth on purpose to get me to schedule an appointment to fix it. I can't help it. I like cream and sugar in my coffee. It tastes good. I like bread and butter too, and margaritas with guacamole and chips. What is the price I pay for enjoying these things, getting fat and being disrespected, which happens anyway when you get older? At some point you realize that they have no interest in hearing you speak, so why open your mouth except to eat? God damn. Standing O for Martha. <laughs> that poem expressed my soul perfectly. <laughs> All of you in your smartphones looking stupid on your smartphones. <laughs> oh, God. Um, thank you, Del. <laughs> uh, our next reader uh, won poem of the year last year, not just poem of the month, of the whole fucking year. Give it up for Shara Hardison. working on a series of um, very short <laughs> animal portraits. So this one is called Cat. My father got a cat. It's a bad idea. He tells me it just sauntered out of the weeds one day while he was splitting wood. He set out a dish of crumbled biscuits and cool milk like it was the 50s and he'd never heard of Fancy Feast. <laughs> And now the damn thing won't go away. The damn thing is mad, too. Not angry at having been forgotten by everyone, mind you, though it has every right to be, but actually mad. It walks in circles and bangs its head against the wall and swats at flies that aren't there. At least, I can't see them. Dad wets its matted fur and gently works his fingers through the tangles. Everyone needs someone, he says and the cat meows. Thank you. Good stuff. Who has a cat in here? Raise your hand. This open mic is over. <laughs> what the? What? Oh, you dog lovers. What is that about? This is, uh, I'm going rec to record the silence for posterity on the podcast. The silence of disapproval at your <laughs> lack of cat loving. I have two cats. They're a year and two months old. They're amazing. <laughs> so someone take a picture of this. And Brooklyn Poets as an organization will be over. <laughs> I know. It all came crumbling down one night of anti-cat sentiment. 
Our first reader off the open mic wait list is Tess Congor, events assistant. Give it up for Tess. Too low. <laughs> yeah, fix it. Thank you. All right. Praise to the look. Praise, praise to the destroyers. I learned to hate things by watching my mom love them. How she locked our last reels homes. How she locked our last real home's contents in multiple storage areas over 16 years. I was a sucker some of the time, paying out of my own into her sickness. Her exact diagnosis, I'm not her doctor, but I've speculated with my sisters in her earshot. I hear her voice even now in my ear, the sound of her guilty smile. I always liked nice things. It's funny how much we can enjoy destroying ourselves. Mere weeks before losing a job I loved, I wrote, part of me always wants to be fired from a job or upended from an apartment. Maybe I've grown accustomed to chaos. Maybe I like the roller co coaster whoosh through my stomach, let the walls fall down, and self quote. Now weeks out, my wallet gapes toothless, stuck in the eye of a self-designed storm. I'm enshrined only by what I've collected. The books cascading across my bedroom floor, clothes half-drawn from hangers, the unzipped dress spreading ruffles across the gifted-to-me desk, the merry statuette alongside another of Lakshmi. In a poem I once wrote about my mother, I described her habit of collecting things she used rarely, the guitar she never learned, the suitcases never brought to a job. I ended the poem with, I'd buy you a lifeboat if I thought you'd use it. In a dream where I'm at the beach with my father, there's no lifeboat. We're not drowning. Instead, the tide is gently carrying in things I hadn't known I'd lost. A set of drawers open with all the belongings floating back to me. I wonder at this not knowing, this absence only learned through recovery. My mom and sisters tell me you never pay attention to anything. And maybe they're right. Maybe I only hear the ocean when it's roaring in my ears. I used to skip school because I knew I could make up twice the amount of work in the time my peers could finish regular assignments. Not that the decision was so simple. Sometimes it didn't feel like I had a choice but to beg to stay home. My thoughts skated off a la Sylvia Plath, and my pillow smothered the sobbing far better than any desk could. Somehow I aced most years, smiling so much everyone asked me why I was so happy. It was so lovely. It was all they could see. Damn good, Tess. Ah, damn. Uh, I have humidity here. <laughs> we have two readers uh, left on the wait list, and then we've, we've got to end the evening. It's already 9 to 9.40. Uh, which one is this? This is, uh, oh, this is houseless. Anyway, <laughs> our next reader is Mark Brodzinski. Give it up for Mark.
This is called uh, To You, Historians of the Still Future. You off in a barn somewhere, me talking about whatever, horses, spouting words in a since-forgotten tongue in order to bend your ear. Shave and a haircut, two bits. Venmo me bitcoins and good night in blockchain. Spend your time with me. I promise I would listen to you if I could. Your ear bent backwards, stretching back to me like taffy, wrapping itself around my tongue. See how sweet? Your marvel attenuated, growing thin so long. This was always my dream for the future, for you to love me once it was too late. short come on now <laughs> thank you mark well grown mark uh, our last reader off the wait list is is it hazel lynch give it up for hazel hi good night this is my first open mic so please forgive me <laughs> whatever this is, is what if. What if, what if, what if. Oh damn, Senor Fluffy was tired of repeating these words to himself on a daily basis. Seems like it happens 24 seven. What if they did not leave Paris? What if he was still living a life of luxury and privilege? What if this, his damn owner Madame Dubois did not nearly spend all of her inheritance on so many get-rich-quick scheme. I mean, who does that nonsense when they're stinking rich? Or at least she was. I mean, she still have money. But now, can you believe it? We live in Brooklyn, the concrete jungle of all places, and to boot, on Church Avenue, the huff, the huff snuff of it all. It's getting to the point I can hardly hold my head up high. And now, all of the, all this heifer does all day is order Chinese food. Shop at Bobby's on Church Avenue and Utica. Eat Golden Cross like there's no tomorrow. I'm ashamed to e even be seen with her. Sometimes, man, if I see another red, green, or orange rubber spatula, I may, get, I may just cough up some hairballs. <laughs> I miss having water flown in from the Swiss Alps every day. Now it's just drinking plain old New York City tap water. Damn, if I could have spoken, I would have given that bitch a few choice words mm. of my of my old self. But all I can do is hiss and meow aggressive, aggressively when she passes by. Every time I see her, sorry, sorry. Every time I see her or she passes close to me, eh, eh, and no fresh cow's milk for me? No, not even organic, plain and 
plain and full of steroids milk that come from, the pla from a plastic bottle or a box or the half snuff of it all. No caviar. Now I don't even get tuna from the can or some salmon or such or such from the fish from these fish market. It's whatever she gets. If it's the if it's not golden cross patties, that so-called Chinese fool is peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Fries. Not even the curly one, but the straight one. <laughs> Tamales from the Mexican rice and peas. And now she only buy 99 cents toys for me. Can you believe it? From Bobby's. 99 cents. Oh, the ignition of it all. And can you believe it? Yesterday, I was at the front door stretching and looking outside. And some stray alley cat came up to me and said, what up? <laughs> and, oh my God, I quickly shut the door in his or her face. Can you believe me? Yes, me, saying hello to stray alley cat. Thank you. Thank you, that was awesome. It's a good cat poem too. Especially for, uh, especially, especially for all you cat haters. Uh, so I'm gonna close the open mic. I don't usually read at this, this event. <laughs> called the Broken Poets Yop open mic. But this is my new book. I'm gonna read from it for a little bit. Yeah, so it's 9.45. I'll read this 50 page poem and uh, strap yourselves in. Uh, it's a little bit hard to read from this book because all the poems are long, but I'm just going to read uh, the last section uh, of this first long poem called Break of Day, Great City. It's got some uh, sentimental value because uh, it's referring to a workshop I taught for Broken Poets back in, I think, 2013. Back when <laughs> Broken Poets had like 10 people that would come to our events. It wasn't that bad, but uh, this workshop I, had, I think had like five people in it. It's in my backyard in uh, Brooklyn Heights. 2013, five years old. This book is five fucking years old. It's crazy. It's like, new book. Really, it's not. It's like, <laughs> it's so old. But uh, on Friday, I'm going to perform this like all the emotions are still inside me when they're all dead <laughs> inside me. But just imagine that uh, all these emotions are still alive. So this is the last section of Break of Day, Great City. Sunlight moving through the window onto the empty milk bottle, the cutting board, illuminating the cutting board. Already I can feel the anxiety of the newsletter I need to send out, optimally at 10 a.m. or 10.30 for the most traffic, the greatest click performance. And once I do that, the delirious quiet will be gone, the holy hush of ancient sacrifice. Stevens should have written, hearing your life, the holy hush of hearing your life. Death is the mother of beauty, I told a student who had a very Stevensian conception of the ghost in her poem. Yes, I said that. <laughs> who wanted only to prefer something, to make a selection as opposed to having everything. What does it feel like, her speaker asks, to begin the poem? What doesn't it feel like, the ghost retorts. And all the horror of an afterlife rushes in where one does nothing but feel everything, absolutely, and all the time. The ghost wants only to be asked, what would you like? And in fact, what it would like is a glass of Chianti, then perhaps a deeper red.
The joy of that moment in the poem, unobserved by anyone save the five of us reading it, probably never to be published, and even if published, ignored. The utter uselessness of the beautiful perceptive moment, the sunlight illuminating the cutting board, and me leaning hard into this notebook, writing. Thank you. There's that. Friday, Bushwick, Hunter Bogart. We'll have a good time. This is Craig Blinn's copy, by the way, so it's sold out tonight. You can't buy it. You have to come on Friday. Uh, all right, to recap. Wow, that was a great open mic. Last, uh, the poem about the, the stray cat. That was such a great moment. What up? Hazel Lynch. Before that was Mark Brodzinski, Tess Congo, Shara Hardison, Del Lemon, Arthur Russell, Richard Fine, Emily Wilkinson, Bill Livingston, Alan Braverman, Nikki Ritchie from South Africa, Creighton Blinn, Hassan Karimi, Candy Wolf, Bill Considine, Kathleen Burnock, Harvey Sauce, Beatrice Kay, Bonnie Belay, Rosie Perez, Blake Lappin, and Timothy Gerber Fleury. Y'all remember that? Yep. 718-374-1953. Vote once, please. Do not tell your friends who are not here to vote because uh, you will go to hell for that. Right? <laughs> and I, I'm not Christian or Catholic or anything, but... I'm going to assign you to hell. 718-374-1953. Yeah, you just text me. Don't call me. Please don't call me. <laughs> just, <laughs> just text me. 718-374-1953. We will be back here in July. What's the second Monday of July? Do you know? July 4th is a Wednesday, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. It's the 9th. July 9th, we'll be back here. Lee Stein will be leading the op in July. Many of you know her. She's leading an online workshop called Poetry Rehab. You can imagine what that's about. It's like <laughs> in response to the Trump administration, basically. Uh, 7 p.m. July, July, July 9th. Right, because on the 11th, Julie Hart is going to be featured. And on the 11th, Julie Hart will feature in New Jersey. Yeah, make the trip out there. I've done it. It's, it's a fun time. Arthur buys you dinner. It's a good time. It's like a big seafood dinner I had. Uh, 718-374-1953. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your evenings. Go to the beach. Bye-bye. Take your cups and plates downstairs, please. So, there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for June 11th, 2018. Thanks very much to our professor, Miller Oberman, for leading a fantastic workshop on Ulipo forms. A lot, of, a lot of fun that one was. Miller is actually just about to start that five-week workshop for Brooklyn Poets tomorrow. This is Tuesday. June 26th as I speak. That workshop starts tomorrow, June 27th in Borum Hill. So for five weeks, Miller is going to be leading all kinds of wacky Ulupo forms with a really dedicated group of students. Congratulations to my former Brooklyn Poets student, Emily Wilkinson, a fantastic poet, for winning June Yacht Poem of the Month for her beautiful poem to her daughter with Shaud Gibbs Syndrome, age six. Emily has earned free admission to a future YAP and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown on December 10th. Very excited for Emily. Well deserved. 
Our next yop comes your way on July 9th. That is the second Monday of the month, as usual. It will be led by Lee Stein, a longtime Brooklyn Poets professor. Lee will be making the trip from Connecticut, where she lives now. I think she still lives there, to lead a workshop drawn from her upcoming online workshop, Poetry Rehab. So you will be finding ways to recuperate your writing practice in the age of the monster in the White House. So uh, definitely come out for that if you're needing a jolt from uh, all of your rage and depression, which is uh, pretty much a daily occurrence these days. Uh, to sign up for the off and just to find out more information, if you've never come before, go to brooklynpoets.org. We love newcomers. We see newcomers every month along with our family of regulars. Uh, it's a great community. If you enjoyed this podcast, it'd be great if you would subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud and especially rate us on iTunes. That helps more listeners find our podcast, especially more poets like you. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope to see you in July. The weather's warm. New York is nice again. It's a totally different city when you can actually step outside and walk around and get a drink with friends and you know be on roofs. So enjoy this time. I uh, hope to see you on July 9th. Take care. <laughs>